this morning, we thank you that no longer do our lives have to be marked with fear and shame. Lord, that because we are children of God, we can boldly come into your presence and stand and listen to your word and listen to you sing over us and bless us. And we thank you that you are a father who does just that. And Lord, we pray this morning as we continue to worship in the name of Jesus, that you would just bless us with you, Lord. So fill this place with your spirit. Speak to us through your spirit. Use us for your glory. And Lord, we pray it all in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, this morning as you're seated, if you have your Bible, take it out. And today we're turning chapters. We're actually moving on in Luke, so turn to Luke chapter 11. We come to a new chapter today, Luke chapter 11. And so we're going to go through this chapter just like we've been doing all the chapters in the book of Luke. We're just walking through this book. Verse by verse, seeing what God wants to teach us. And I love the book of Luke because everything in Luke is about Jesus. It's the greatest story ever told. And we've been looking at that story and seeing how that story can change our lives. So in just a moment, we'll look there in Luke 11. Before we do, we're going to say our verses that we've been memorizing as a church. We're memorizing the Sermon on the Mount together. And the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That sounds like a lot, I know, but we're still going to memorize it. Amen? And so we have been memorizing... Matthew chapter 5, and we're in the Beatitudes section of Matthew chapter 5, so today your verses were verses in 7 and 8 that you were supposed to memorize this week, so we're going to say those verses together, and then next week when you come back, you're going to say Matthew 5 verses 9 and 10. So what we do is we say these together, amen? I'm not just sitting here saying them by myself, we are going to say them together. And so I told you I'm doing the New Living Translation, so that's the NLT, And I know if you memorize like I did, the King James, when you were younger, especially this Beatitude section, this is hard for you in the New Living Translation, but I promise you, in just a few weeks, when we get down into the meat of Matthew 5, you're going to be very glad we're doing the NLT and not the King James there. So here we go. You ready? So we're going to do Matthew 5, verses 7 and 8. Verse 7 says, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will receive mercy. Then verse 8 says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. All right, that wasn't very good. Y'all got to say it louder, so I hope you know it, and I hope you're just trying to mumble it so you don't mess it up or something. But next week, blurt it out so that everybody knows that you memorized Scripture this week. And don't forget what you've memorized. Keep going back and refreshing, starting with verse 1, and then one week we're just going to do it all together, the whole thing. So hopefully we'll have Matthew 5 done pretty quickly. And we can say and know and hide the word of God deep in our heart. So now on to Luke 11. And as I said, we're transitioning. But I hope you remember all of Luke, the whole book transitioned at the end of Luke chapter 9. Because at the end of Luke chapter 9, the Bible says just in a very obscure verse that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. And what that means for us is that Jesus Christ started making his way to the cross. Jesus came to this earth for one purpose and that was to die for our sins. And God said that he set him apart to do that before the foundations of this world. That Jesus Christ was slain for our sins. And so in Luke 9.51, he starts his way, his march towards that cross. Towards dying for our sins. And everything from that point on in the book of Luke changes. Everything in Jesus' life changes. He begins to teach more fervently. And the things he teaches are the most important things that we need to hear. And we heard that last week as we looked at the end of Luke chapter 11. We saw the most important thing that we need as far as Jesus Christ is the word of God and to fall in love with the word of God and hang on to the word of God and know the word of God 
And he just continues that theme, talking about the most important things. And today, he's going to talk about another important thing that we need as followers of Jesus Christ, and that is prayer. And so today, Jesus is going to teach us how to pray. My favorite story on prayer is a story about a young man who is going to his girlfriend's house for the first time to eat dinner. So before he goes to her house, he goes to the drugstore, the pharmacy, to buy some gifts for her. And so he goes and he's looking for some gifts and he finally sees some boxes of chocolate. So he gets a few boxes of chocolate and he goes up to the counter to check out. And the pharmacist asks him, he says, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm going to my girlfriend's house tonight for dinner. And he says, well, why do you have three boxes of chocolate? And he tells him, he says, well, I bought this small box of chocolate because if she lets me hold her hand, I'm going to give her the small box of chocolate. I have this medium box of chocolates. If she lets me kiss her, I'm going to give her the medium box of chocolates. And then I have this large box of chocolates. And if she lets me really kiss her, I'm going to give her the large box of chocolates. So he checks out and the pharmacist says, good luck tonight. And he says, thanks. And so he goes to his girlfriend's house for dinner and they sit down. And when he sits down for dinner, he asks the family, he says, can I pray? Can I bless our meal? And they said, sure. So he starts to pray, and he prays, and he prays, and he prays. And for about five minutes, he prays the boldest, most fervent prayer you have ever heard. And at the end of the prayer, when he says amen, his girlfriend looks at him, and he says, you never told me you were a Christian. And the young man looks at her and said, you never told me your dad was a pharmacist either. <laughs> and so you'll catch that later, maybe some of you. But the point of the story is whenever we're in a desperate situation, what do we tend to do? We tend to pray, right? Whenever we hear a word like cancer, what do we do? We pray. Whenever we get a phone call in the middle of the night, what do we do? We pray. And most of the time, tragic moments in our life are marked with prayer. Even people who don't believe in God, when they have tragedy strike their life, they will go to God in prayer. Even if they're atheist, agnostic, they will pray. But for most of us, what we do when that tragic moment ends, we just go back to the way it was. We go back to life as normal. But what I read in the Gospels is the opposite of that. I believe our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, I believe our church of Jesus Christ should be one of complete and utter desperation every day of our life. Because we are totally dependent upon God and we are a needy people in need of God. If you look at the early church, that's the way they lived their life. They did not live their life apart from God. They lived their life solely dependent on God, and that's why God worked through them and used him for their glory. But not us. We live a life like we read about last week. The word that defines us is not desperation. The word that defines us is distracted. That's what Jesus said to Martha. He said, Martha, you're distracted. And so we live a life distracted from the things of God rather than desperate for the things of God and God himself. God is looking for a desperate people. Listen to just what the dictionary, listen to how it defines desperation. It says desperation is a state of despair, typically one which results in rash or extreme behavior. That's what God desires. He desires a desperate people. He desires a people whose hearts long for him, whose souls thirst for him, whose presence they desire more than life 
itself. And to the world around, it looks rash and it looks extreme. Guess what? To Christians like us, it looks rash and it looks extreme. When we read the Bible and we see that they sold everything they own and gave it away, it's like, well, that's crazy. Well, not to God. Because they were desperate. And they would do anything to live into the presence of God and to walk into his presence and to be used by him and to know him. And that's what they wanted. And that's what God wants for us. And the only way to get that is through prayer. And I believe this morning that's why Jesus is teaching us about prayer. I know some of you are thinking, oh, here's another sermon on prayer. Why does he talk about prayer all the time? Well, the reason I talk about prayer all the time is because the Bible talks about it all the time. Because we need it. And you might think, well, I don't need to know anything about prayer. That's just talking to God. I can talk to God whenever I want to. Well, I understand you can talk to God whenever you want to. But you need to be taught about prayer. The disciples come to Jesus in this text and say, Jesus, teach us to pray. This is the only thing they ever ask Jesus to teach them. Not how to witness, not how to perform miracles, not how to cast out demons, not how to heal the sick. None of that. Just to pray. Teach us to pray. And guess what Jesus does? He teaches them to pray. And just like the disciples needed to be taught, you do too. Nobody in this room learned to talk without being taught how to talk, right? You didn't just start talking on your own. You had to learn to talk. You didn't learn to walk on your own. You had to learn to walk. Everything in your life you have learned from someone else or have been passed that down. And that's what Jesus is doing today on prayer. So this morning, we're going to look at this text, and I'm just going to read it. I'm going to read the first half, and then we're going to stop and talk about it, and then I'm going to read the second half. So if you have your Bible, look there in Luke 11, and I'm going to start reading in verse 1. This is what the Bible says. It says, once Jesus was in a certain place praying. As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, This is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Now just briefly, this prayer sounds a lot like another prayer that Jesus gives us earlier in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 6 on the Sermon on the Mount where he teaches the Lord's Prayer. He says, this is how you should pray. Now this text sounds very similar to this, but this is a different time in Jesus' life and he's teaching on prayer and it's a totally different topic because that prayer, the Sermon on the Mount prayer, happened early on in Jesus' ministry in Galilee and that's when he taught the Lord's Prayer. But here, this is later on in his life, just months before he will die. And he's right outside Jerusalem when the disciples ask him to teach them how to pray. And he gives a similar prayer. But what I want you to know is that Jesus is not telling us, pray this exact prayer, word for word, memorize it and pray it every time you come to God or every time you go to church. That's not what Jesus is saying. What is that? That's just religion. That's just rote memorization. That's what every religion in the world does. That is not what Jesus is talking about. He is not talking about the words you say. What is more important to Jesus than the words you say when you come to God in prayer is the heart that you come to God with in prayer. He cares much more about the attitude of your heart than the words of your mouth. So I want you to see why Jesus prays and how much more we are in need of prayer than even he. 
Most of the time when we look at the Gospels and when we look at Jesus' life, I think the way we see the Gospels, the way we read the Gospels, we read the Gospels and we see Jesus perform miracles and he had divine encounters and he taught and then it all culminated in the end with a crucifixion and resurrection. And sometimes in there, there were seasons of prayer where he would get alone with God or where he would go rest and we see that briefly. But I think the opposite of that is true. I think that if you truly study the Gospels and you knew what Jesus' life was about, you would see Jesus' life was marked with prayer throughout. He lived a life of prayer. And those kinds of prayer were interrupted with miracles and divine encounters and teachings and then culminated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He prayed all the time. And Luke is the one who tells us this. More than any other Gospels, Luke tells us that Jesus prayed. Luke alone, in Luke and Acts, he wrote both of those books, he uses the word pray or prayer over 50 times. Prayer is the theme of Luke and Acts because prayer was the theme of Jesus' life. Every time you see him do something great, he prayed. Why? Because of a reason I don't understand. We know that Jesus Christ was God. And Jesus came to this earth as God in the flesh. But as coming to this earth as God and in flesh, he submitted himself to do whatever God the Father told him to do. And he worked through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he did it because that's what we have to do. And so Jesus Christ, as he walked this earth, he could do nothing by himself. How do I know? Because he says it. Go read John 5. In John 5, 31, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. I can only do what I see my father doing. And he could only work through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what that made Jesus be is totally dependent on God. It made him dependent on God for every miracle he performed, for every demon he cast out, for every word he spoke and taught. He was totally dependent on the Father and the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, was dependent on the Father and the Holy Spirit, how much more are we? Think about it. He could do nothing without them. And the same is true for us. I just want you to see why his life and how his life was marked with prayer. And I just want to take a sample of just two miracles, two parables, or two miracles that we see and we talk about all the time. And I want you to see what Jesus did right before he performed each of these miracles. The first one is we talk about it all the time where Jesus broke the loaves and broke the fish and he fed 5,000. And that was just 5,000 men, so he probably fed 12,000 or so women, children, and men with just a few loaves of bread and fish. And I want you to see the story. Listen to what Matthew 14, verse 18 says. Jesus says, bring them here. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass, and Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish. And what did he do? He looked up to heaven, and he blessed them. What does that mean? It means he prayed over the fish and the loaves of bread. He prayed over them. And what did he pray? God, make these go further than they're going to go. That's what he did. And what happened? Well, look what happened. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. And how many people did he feed? Probably ten to 12,000 people. And what was happening to the end? There was food left over, and they gathered baskets full of food. He prayed, and who blessed that food? And who made it go further? Jesus? No, God himself. Jesus' most famous miracle was raising a man from the dead named Lazarus in John chapter 11. And I want you to see right what he did before he raised Lazarus from the dead. It's in John 11, verse 41. This is what the Bible said. So they rolled the stone aside. Now the stone was covering the grave where Lazarus was. So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, 
thank you for hearing me. He's praying. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted to Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Before Jesus did anything, what did he always do? He always prayed. Before he chose the disciples, what did he do? He prayed. Before he started his ministry, what did he do? He prayed. Before he went to the cross, what did he do? He prayed. Over and over and over again, his life was marked with prayer. And I am convinced the disciples finally recognized this. And they saw him pray over and over and over again. And then when he prayed, something different would always happen. Miracles would happen. Like a man who was dead for three days coming out of a grave. That's what would happen. And so they had saw prayer all their life. They all grew up young Jewish men. And they would go to the synagogue. And they would hear prayer after prayer after prayer. But something was different about Jesus' prayer. Why? Because Jesus was desperate. And he was totally dependent on God. Because without God, he could do nothing. Guess what is true for our lives? The exact same thing. Without God, we can do nothing. And so we should be people who pray. And the disciples saw this and they asked Jesus, Jesus, teach us to pray. And they learned how to pray. And guess what they became? Praying people. Go read the book of Acts. Luke goes on to talk about prayer over and over, especially in the early church. The first thing they did when Jesus ascended into heaven is they prayed for 10 days. All they did was pray and they prayed and they prayed. And over and over again, they would pray and God would work through them. And thousands and thousands of thousands of people's life were changed. Why? Because they were desperate for God and they were dependent on God to move. And they learned from Jesus this truth. But Jesus goes on and he teaches them more about prayer, the Bible says. So look down to verse 5. This is what verse 5 says in Luke 11. Then teaching them more about prayer, Jesus used this story. He just told them a story, a parable. He says, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will give up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive whatever you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Verse 11. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So, if a sinful people know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, this story, when we read it, it sounds confusing to us because we don't understand first century customs at all because they happened 2,000 years ago and we live in a different culture and in a different place. But in the Middle East, especially in the first century, if you were to go to someone's house, the first thing they would always do is they would offer you something to eat. That was just 
custom. That was courtesy. And if they didn't offer you something to eat, it was just a huge faux pas. Even to this day, if you go to the Middle East or North Africa, the first thing they will do is they will offer you tea and figs or something to eat. And in Jesus' day, it was this way. And so what he's telling is just an outrageous story of someone who comes to a house at midnight and they come after a long journey and you're there and you don't have any food to feed them. And it is a huge problem. And you can't go to your refrigerator because they didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have pantries. They went out every day and got their food and brought it in and ate it. So he didn't have anything to feed this traveler, this neighbor, this friend who came. So what he's saying is, what would you do? Well, you don't go to Walmart and buy it because there was no Walmarts. So the only thing you could do is go to a neighbor's house, the guy next door. And for whatever reason, this guy knew that his neighbor had some bread. So he goes to his house and begins to beat on that house. Now, don't think of a house as your house. They didn't have 2,000 square feet houses, and each child had a bedroom, and everybody had a bathroom, and they had a living room and a kitchen. Guess how many rooms they had? One. And in that one room, they slept in that room. They ate in that room. They cooked dinner in that room. They lived in that room. That was their house. And so when they went down for bed at night, they would lay child one out, child two, child three, and then the parents would lay out, and they would go to sleep. But it's the middle of the night, and somebody comes knocking at your door. What are you going to think? Please don't wake up my kids. They'll never go back to sleep. That's what happens, right? But this dude needed some bread. So what did he do? Even when the neighbor shouted, get out of here, he kept knocking. He kept knocking. And the Bible says, Jesus says he was shameless. Shameless. That word in the Greek is the only word ever used in the New Testament to say shameless. It's the only time Jesus ever used this word. And what does he use it in context? In prayers. And so what he is saying, when you go to God, you can be bold and you can be shameless and you can ask him for anything. Why? Because he's your heavenly father. And so Jesus is telling us how we come to God in prayer. He says that when we come, we should be specific. We should ask for specific things. When this guy goes to his neighbor's house, he doesn't say, hey, dude, I need some bread. No, he asked for three loaves of bread. He asked for specifics because evidently he knew his friend had three loaves of bread in that house. And that's what he asked for. When you go to God in prayer, don't ask for general things. Don't say, God, bless my family. Well, what does that mean? Ask God for specifics. If your child is going to the doctor, say, God, keep them safe or heal them from whatever's wrong with them. If you're asking or praying for someone's salvation, what should you pray for? Pray for their God to save them. Ask for specific things. God is a God of details. Just look at creation. Look at this earth. Think about your body. He is a God of details. He knows your needs, but he wants you to specifically ask. And when you go to him, you can ask for anything boldly and shamelessly. That's why Jesus says you can speak to this mountain and ask it to move from here to there. And if you have faith, what will happen? It will be moved. But we don't go to God like that. We do the God mealy mouth and we say weak prayers that mean nothing. And we don't pray with fervency and we don't pray with desperation. We just pray out of religiosity. We pray because we think we're supposed to, not because we really need anything. If you truly understood how needy you were, your life would be marked with prayer, just like Jesus' life was marked with prayer. And that's what he's saying be bold, be shameless. And when you go, be expectant. Believe that God can do anything you ask. Because guess what? God can do anything you ask. If you don't believe it, just go look at the life of Jesus. And look at the things that he did. Look at the miracles he performed. Look at the people he raised from the dead. And you know what Jesus Christ says? He said, you can do the same things I've done. And even greater things. Because I'm going to be with the Father. 
But in our lives, are we seeing the same things that Jesus Christ did and even greater things? No, why? Because we don't pray. We don't pray. And we don't pray in desperation. And we don't pray persistently, going to Him over and over and over again as a sign of faith. We just give up and we quit. What Jesus is telling us is the conviction of our life should be that nothing could happen without God. Our marriage cannot happen without God. We cannot raise a family without God. We cannot live for the glory of God without Him. We cannot do anything without Him. But that's not how we live our life. We try to do everything we can to live without Him so that we can show how good and strong we are, I guess. I don't know what we're thinking. But God is looking for a desperate people. And if we would just come to Him in desperation, Jesus says... He will give us everything we need. And what do we need? Well, he tells us there in verse 13. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So when we go to God and when we pray, what does He give? He gives us Himself. That's what He gives. He gives the Holy Spirit, His Spirit that lives in us and fills us and empowers us and indwells us. That's what He gives. So when we go and we ask God for comfort, He gives the comforter. When we ask God for peace, He gives us the one who gives peace. When we ask for healing, He gives the healer. When we ask for money, He gives the bank. He gives us Himself. And what did He give Jesus Christ? The same thing. The Holy Spirit. Acts 10.38, listen. And you know... That God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. What made Jesus' life different than all the other disciples' life and everybody else's life who has ever lived on this earth? The Holy Spirit of God was with him and empowered him and worked through him. Just like Jesus promises he will do for you. If we will just pray. If we will just pray. I'm glad the disciples learned this. Because we see the illustration of what Jesus taught them. Just a little bit later on in Luke's writings in Acts. Acts chapter 3 and 4 are my favorite chapters in that whole book. And Acts 3 is just a short little chapter. And it just starts out saying that Peter and John go to the temple one day to pray. And as they're walking to the temple to pray, they see a man who has been lame. He has to beg because he can't do anything else. And he has been lame for 40 years of his life. He can't walk. He just has to lay there and he just has to ask for money. And Peter and John pass by and he says, hey, dudes, will y'all give me some money? Peter says, I ain't got none. But he says, I'll give you what I got. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And then the Bible says Peter reached down and picked him up by the hand and helped him to his feet. And the Bible says when he did that, immediately his ankles and his feet were healed immediately. And that man began to walk. And not only did he walk, he began to run and he began to jump. And he ran into the temple to tell everybody, look what just happened to me. And so everybody in the temple run out to Peter and John. And they're just standing there and they're like, what just happened? And so Peter uses the opportunity to preach. And so he preaches Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. And the Bible says people believed, 5,000 of them in fact, believed what he said. And then the Pharisees, the religious, came out of the temple. And they arrested Peter and John. 
And they left them in jail overnight. And then the next morning they tried them. And they became before the Sanhedrin, the same group that convicted Jesus Christ to the cross just a few weeks earlier. And so they bring Peter and John out. And they say, what are you teaching? So Peter says, well, let me tell you. And he teaches Jesus Christ and preaches the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he away and say, what are we going to do? All these people saw what happened and they believed. How can we scourge them or flog them or even kill them? One of the guys said, we can't. So what they did is they brought Peter and John back in and said, do never talk about the name of Jesus again. And here's what Peter said. He said, I'm not obeying you. I'm obeying God. And they send them on their way. And so the first thing they do is they go back to the church. And guess what the church does? Do they have a fellowship? Do they throw a party? No, they pray. They just pray. And guess what they pray for? Courage to preach the name of Jesus. They ask for specifics. And guess what God does? He gives specifics. Acts 4.31, the Bible says, After they prayed, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the word of God with boldness. So how did God answer their prayer? The same way Jesus said He would answer the prayer with the Holy Spirit of God. And He answered their prayer specifically. They prayed for courage and boldness. And what did they get? Boldness to do what they prayed. Guess what happens when we pray out of desperation and need, just like the early church? God responds with His Holy Spirit, and He specifically answers our prayer, whatever our prayer is. But we just have to pray. One of the things I often worry about is when people walk into our church, what do they say different from other churches around us? You know, I travel a lot all around the world and I go to a lot of different churches that aren't Christian churches. I've been in mosques and I've been in temples all over the world. And guess what all of them do? They all worship and they all pray. What makes us different? To the outside eye, probably not much. Because when we pray, we just look like all the other religions of the world praying most of the time. But that's not the mark of a follower of Jesus Christ. When you see a man or woman of God praying in desperation, you see a difference. And guess what? God sees a difference. And not only does he see a difference, he gives a different response. And he answers that prayer. If we would just be a praying people. God would be a moving God. I don't understand this. But for whatever reason. God has limited his work on this earth. To the prayers of his people. Because God works through the prayers of his people. So guess what that means. It means when we don't pray. God doesn't move. That makes no sense to me. Because I don't trust you enough. And I sure don't trust me enough to do that. But God is called. He is taught. God himself prays. And if we would just understand that truth. It would change everything. It would change everything.
So what I'm praying for is whatever it takes to make us a people of prayer. That's what God will do. And my fear is what it will take. All that was required is obedience. What will it take? Bow with me, Lord. Thank you for your word. We thank you for prayer. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for not understanding the truth of your word. I pray that you would forgive us for not being a praying people. Pray that you would forgive us for being distracted and complacent. And really not even caring. Lord, I pray this morning that you would send your spirit. That you would answer this prayer with the Holy Spirit of God. Would your very presence move amongst us. To change us. And to make us like Jesus. So Lord we just give you these moments. We pray that you would move. And we pray it in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. This morning as we close.